Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for the Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. The shirtless king. He is coming to you post Peloton. The juices are flowing. He has squished all his mind grapes. He's ready to give you takes. And Jay, I think. Uh, given that you're in such good shape right now and you're just in the right mental space, you're a mental alpha. Can you tell me what the identity of this Celtics team is? Because in the last two nights, we saw them get absolutely destroyed and their spirits just stomped on by Joel Embiid and the 76ers. And then the next night, turn in a pretty gritty win and a nice performance down the stretch against the New York Knicks. So what the hell is this team? They are 500. They are consistently inconsistent. They are still searching to find some sort of rhythm to ride into the playoffs. They've been searching for that all season. And you hate to give them excuses, but it's like every time they start to get healthy, somebody goes out. Evan Fournier is out now. He's expected to miss at least a week. Like Kemba Walker is still missing second out of back to backs. And so they have reasons for being inconsistent. But I think when guys are out, they have to be like they were against the Knicks and they have to buckle down and play defense. And I thought, I thought actually that, that they might have found a, a formula for themselves in that game for, for when they are shorthanded, for when Kemba's out. And I guess in general, Romeo Langford coming back, um, like he's not the best player, but like Brad Stevens said, he's one of the better wing defenders on the team already. And just having that flexibility and having another versatile defender and then adding Grant Williams, Shemi Ojale, Tristan Thompson off the bench, all of a sudden you can have like a bigger, more physical team. And and I think that they leaned into that defensive versatility against New York and kind of out-toughed one of the more physical teams in the league. It's I agree with you. I think adding Romeo helps their defense a lot. It also helps to play the Knicks. Like they are just not a good offensive team. They really struggle to score. And that was kind of a, a defensive battle there. 
I mean, other than RJ Barrett knocking down a number of threes, the Knicks didn't really have any sort of consistent offense. The Celtics did like they fell down 10 or eight a couple of times uh, in the second half of that game and like were able to string stops together. And I do think that Romeo Langford and then the physicality of Grant Williams and Tristan Thompson uh, really helped them get back into that basketball game. It's just like the, their margin for error is so small with the current roster that they have. And then for them to lose all of the um, players that they have to COVID or injuries, like it's just a shit luck for uh, Fournier to be out now. It's like there's just no way for them to like build any kind of chemistry. And the thing I'm trying to figure out and like if I'm just a dumb illusional like uh, – Illusional? Delusional. delusional. I think I'm delusional fan. Um, I'm clearly that. But Brad Stevens talks all the time about championship habits, championship habits. Um, can a team build championship habits in the last 20 games of a season? Like they clearly have not been good or consistently good uh, this year, but they have also never really had their team together. Is it possible for them to kind of, make a run if they are uh, like all healthy uh, and kind of feeling good going into the playoffs is the regular season, as Tristan Thompson says, just a bunch of horse shit. I think the regular season matters. I was actually, I was listening to Kevin Durant and Draymond Green's. Podcast. I listened to that today too. And they were talking about championship habits. Championships are built in December. Yeah. And, and I actually think there's some truth to that. Like you can, you can think back to uh, the, the doom 2018-19 season, you know, that team felt like they thought they could turn it on. Kyrie said sometime in around February, I think it was like, don't worry about this, guys. We've got me. I'm not going to let us fall. And then, like, in the end, that team fell back on all the bad habits. Um, so I think demonstrating those good habits and building those is very important. I don't think it's necessarily like – you have to have all of them right away. And I, I think like this team has had good habits in the past. And a lot of the key players have done good habits in the past. So I think in some ways you can lean on that. Um, and so it doesn't always come at once. I was also going to talk, reference a lot of things I was listening to or reading to that, or reading. There was a, uh, a good story, like a look back, uh, on the athletic to Brad Stevens's second Butler run to the national championship game. And that team was like pretty bad for a while. And then all of a sudden they just like, they just got it going and they found a, a recipe that worked and they lost Gordon Hayward by then. They weren't like super talented at all, but just kind of put together a run that started, you know, later in the season. So I think you can, you can figure it out at some point. And I think Brad Stevens kind of knew that this was going to be a rocky season. And I think even early on, he was kind of giving the message, like we, we have to get through the early part of the season so that we can give ourselves a chance to be what we want to be later. Um, and so uh, I feel like he, he foresaw at least some of these issues popping up. And now we get to see whether the Celtics have like positioned themselves in a good enough place where as they do get healthy, assuming they do get healthy, um, they can start to build better habits and and start to, you know, grind out games and grind out possessions. 
better than they have lately. Even the past couple of games, like the, the Philly game was so ugly, just despicable. Um, I thought like they've had 42 turnovers their last two games was not good, although it was against two of the better defenses in the league. Um, but that's just not usual for a Brad Stevens team and and something that that I I think they need to stop that. Um, but the defense on the second night of a back to back was was some of the more promising defense they played, even though it was against a New York team that doesn't really have any like superstar primary creators. The thing that concerns me is that they're the habits that they do have don't seem to be there, especially on the defensive end. Like they just, you talk about moving on a string. It They tried to double Joel Embiid and it just did not work. Like you get the Celtics in rotation and it feels like they're giving up a lot of open threes and it's just, they're not moving in the same way. There seemed to be a lot of miscommunication in that uh, 76ers game as well. Part of that can you can blame on just like not having all the guys out there and so not trusting everyone. I think the habit that I gives me some optimism and is a, kind of just a weird stat about this Celtics team. They've played the most clutch games this year, uh, which is being within five points. This within, is spin zone. This is elite spin zone. So what is their record right now? 26 and 26? Yeah. 21 of those losses, they were within five points in uh, within the final five minutes. And you look at their shooting percentage – they just missed – they have terrible shooting percentage. They're shooting something like 30% from three or like 28% from three in those situations. They have a habit of making it a close game. Now, can you say that uh, they have executed late down the stretch? No. Have a lot of those games been wild comebacks when they fell down by 20? You're absolutely correct if you say that. But they have put themselves in positions to make a play, and the shots just have not gone in. They've been close. I think it's being in close games is better than just getting the, the the barn door blown off you every single game. I think they're it's all predicated upon the team being healthy and having the full like options of Fournier and then also Romeo and then having Tristan Thompson after you trade Tice. Like they're gonna need their margin of error is still small, but I think because they have this propensity to keep games close. Maybe they catch a little of that Butler magic going into the playoffs. See, I would argue that the amount the amount of close games that they've played is a sign that they're not very good. Because I mean, the good second- teams, good teams win blowout games, and good teams have very good net ratings. And Who's the number two team with part, part, part of part of you know building a good statistical profile is not playing a lot of close games. And so typically playing a lot of close games is a sign that your basketball team is in a rough place. And so, yes, the the Celtics Celtics have lost. They've played 33 clutch games. The number two team, the Brooklyn Nets, have played 30 clutch games. Now, the Brooklyn Nets are 23-7 and in those games, and the Celtics are 12-21. and So you're probably right. And there's also (laughs) – a a big difference between like being up five with five minutes left and being down five with five minutes left. So there's, there can be a huge discrepancy between the like one team's clutch profile and another's. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're usually there in the end. They've had a very poor track record in those close games 
And um, I mean, when you look at it, like they've they've very rarely been at full strength. And I think I think we're seeing that even though Romeo Lankford like hasn't accomplished much, I do feel like after seeing him in the lineup a few times, like he's pretty important. And he he's not great, but he's pretty important, and especially on this team that needed another guy in that type of mold. Um, he's actually shooting okay. Romeo ha- hit a couple threes yesterday. A step back three. That, that yeah, didn't that know was, it was necessarily in his bag. That was interesting because he only made five of twenty-seven threes as a rookie, and and he was awful in the G League when he played there. He was awful from the three-point arc in college. He has never been a good shooter, but broke his wrist, wasn't really able to shoot for a while, and now he's come back pumping him through the nets. So, Do you think they need to do more to like give him the ball and let him be a playmaker? Because all of the clips I've ever seen of uh, Romeo Langford being good at basketball, it's him attacking the basket. You just stole that tweet from someone. Uh, I... Uh, yeah, Kungu. I stole it from Kungu. You did. I, I just wanted to credit him because I saw that on my timeline. I was like, I know this take. Yeah, I'm. I, I definitely stole it. Um, but it's a valid point. Yeah, and I, I think that that that's something the Celtics have like. I don't know necessarily want to say envision for Romeo, but I think that's a possibility they see for his the way his career develops. You watch back at Indiana, he was like running a lot of pick and rolls and and he's pretty crafty and he's not like a a top passer or anything like that, but he can make the easy pass um, and he was able to get to the hoop. And and so I, I do think like down the road, Romeo could be like one of those quasi point guards, like play the position, have a super versatile defensive lineup. If you have him, Smart, Tatum, Brown, like they started against the Knicks, like that's just a lot of switchability and a lot of athleticism and a lot of length. And so I, I do think like down the road, but right now on this team, it's like they have Kemba. He's going to play a lot of minutes. They have Peyton Pritchard, who's one of their best eight or nine players. He's going to be in the rotation. And so I'm not sure I envision a scenario where he necessarily handles a lot of the ball handling responsibilities this year. but like. If if you told me a couple of years from now he's running some pick and rolls and it looks pretty good, I wouldn't be shocked by that. Yeah, it feels like I mean, we just need to see him on the court. Like he's only played what three games back, and I was surprised to see him get the start. But I do think it makes sense in terms of what they're trying to do defensively. It's just he is like a very solid eighth man right now or ninth man if the team was like fully healthy and they could play the kind of core four guys, Robert Williams, then you have Tristan Thompson, Fournier, and then Romeo's your like eighth or ninth guy after Pritchard off the bench. I think like he's perfectly suited for that role at this point in his development. It's just the team, like even does, they had a good win against the Knicks. It feels good to beat the Knicks, especially uh, just because they're New York and uh, they're dancing in the streets when they're 500 and we're battling for them in the standings. But the same problems just immediately came back where it's just like, wow, this offense is not great when Jason Tatum's down on the court. I Tatum had a bunch of turnovers in that game against the Knicks, I think seven, which um, not ideal, but they were throwing all sorts of attention at him. And I actually thought he had a pretty solid game in terms of just spraying the ball around and uh, nice passes. 
but they just desperately are like Fournier helps so much just in terms of uh, another guy who can score. And I don't know how long he's going to be out, but it just seems like they, I don't know what their solution is on offense, especially on a second night of back to back. If it's just like a teams can just throw everything uh, at Tatum. Yeah. I feel like, you know, we talked about the, the physical lineup built on defensive versatility that robs them of some playmaking. And obviously without Kemba, without Fournier, you kind of have to do that. Um, but when Jason Tatum is surrounded by like Grant Williams or Shemi Ojale, there were a few plays where he hit those guys wide open in the corner and they just bricked them. And, and so there's a lot on Tatum. There's a lot on Jalen Brown in some of those lineups. And so some of it I think is going to have to be ugly. I, I'm with you. Like Even though the eight turnovers – I felt Tatum made some really good passes. The the read to find Marcus Smart for the basically the game winning three was was nice and crisp and on time and and so I, I thought like there were times when he didn't read the action right, but I, I thought he actually made a lot of good passes and the Celtics kind of left a few of his assists on the table. Um, so I I thought despite the the ball handling, like he had a pretty good game. Um, and then I thought Jalen was great. Jalen, Jalen pushing in transition in the fourth quarter when it seemed like, you know, the Celtics were really struggling to get points and, and he was just beating guys and being physical and get to the hoop. That's when he's at his best. And, and that was, he really, I thought in some ways helped will them to a victory along with Tristan Thompson and Marcus Smart. Yeah. It felt like it was very important for them to get stops on the, um, defensive end and that started like a lot of their offense when they went on their runs especially late uh but like it's going to come down to jason tatum um i think just making plays and being the kind of the the superstar and i think the more you can surround him with talent the better i don't get what is up with the turnovers over the last two games some of it i think was just Philly's defense is pretty damn good. Philly's defense. I went back and looked at those turnovers some of those were just incredible defensive plays like just special rotations and Philly's huge. And like for whatever reason, I've watched them on television a whole bunch this year. When I saw them in person, I was like, Holy God, especially against the Celtics. Like the Celtics positionally are very small. Even Robert Williams is like, he's not a big center. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, whoever's a four, not big Marcus smart, not a big two. Kemba, not a big one. It's like every position, basically, except maybe the three, like they're giving up size. And and Philly's just enormous at every position. And and they bring guys off the bench who are very big for their position, too, whether it's Dwight Howard or Matisse. You know, Frickin' Korkmaz. Oh, I hate that guy. Shake, Shake Milton, you know, like, like guys who are pretty big for their position. So I, I thought they kind of overwhelmed the Celtics. And a lot of the turnovers are not all turnovers are uh, created equal. I thought a lot of the turnovers against the Sixers were like Celtics are trying to make the extra pass. And the Sixers were just incredibly long and like did a great job of getting into passing lanes. It wasn't as bad as some of the like you never really want a live ball turnover. But when you're like trying to do get some ball movement going, the other team's just doing a great job of, of rotations. It's not as like it's. It's crippling, but it's like uh, process-wise, it's not as bad as just like a, a travel or a like bad shot or shot clock or something like that. Yeah, so some of that was just awesome. And 
those are two of the best defenses in the league, two of the most physical defenses in the league. So I think you expect some turnovers, but 42 over two games, that's rough. Not that's great. Rough. Uh, do we have to talk about Time Lord's terrible Tuesday against yes. Um, yes, Noel Embiid? Uh, Brad Stevens said before the game, the like, one thing we can't have is Robert Williams getting in foul trouble. And Robert Williams almost immediately got in foul trouble. And it did not lead to good things because Luke Cornett and Mo Wagner had to play. And Taco had to play who I actually thought did a pretty decent job uh, against Joel Embiid. But it's just like the, the Celtics had no chance of really competing in that game once you just like have to go to your uh, center depth in that situation. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's a great lesson for Robert Williams. You know, we talked earlier when he screwed up against Indiana with like eight seconds left and DeMontis Sabonis went and finished an and one over him. Like that. that's a that can be a very pivotal moment in learning. Like you learn that you have to be focused at all times. And if you're not, you can cost your team. And like, like we said at that time, Robert Williams, he had never really played crunch time before. And so, so like you, you can, you can pick things up from that. And, and this time, like he's played against the 76ers, obviously he's normally come off the bench. They've normally not matched him up much with Joel Embiid. And like you have to be so disciplined against Embiid because he's going to force contact. If if you're not making him work for catches, if you're a little bit out of position, if you jump at an up fake, if if you do any of that stuff, he's going to the line for two. You're getting in foul trouble. And then I thought the the third foul Robert Williams had late in the first quarter was the bad one. Um, and that's oh, the yeah. one he really, really has to avoid, which was like freaking cork miles in the corner and he got caught on an up fake you can't have those fouls like especially against Embiid stay away from that you need to stay on the court the Celtics need you desperately but I I think Robert Williams like he needs those moments and and he needs to learn how to play against Embiid in case the Celtics do play them in the playoffs or or just for the sake of of learning more discipline I, I think all that stuff is is really important for Robert Williams so I'm not going to beat up the guy for having a little lack of discipline when like we probably would have expected him to have a little lack of discipline. Brad Stevens kind of expected him to have a little lack of discipline in that specific matchup. Um, There's just no way to like guard Embiid without physical contact and without fouling. And he's going to draw contact. He's pretty good at the flail, um, but it's the... He's he's very good at the flail. He's very good at the flail and very good at just like the James Harden style, like rip throughs, like it's... Even if you try to put a hand on him, he will draw the foul. He's gone to the line some absurd amount of times against the Celtics this year. Uh, and so you just can't pick up the other dumb ones, like the the one against uh, Korkmaz. Even ones where it's just like fadeaway jumpers. Like you got to earn your fouls against Embiid. And that was a game where it's like Tristan Thompson would have been nice. Not that he's going to like automatically slow down Embiid, but I think he's going to have a better performance than Luke Cornett, who – got absolutely destroyed and I actually thought was like somewhat decent after that initial time that uh Joel that first Embiid, time I was like oh my god Joel Embiid might have 120 points I felt legitimately bad for Luke Cornett for having been forced into that situation it just uh it didn't feel fair yeah but then he kind of figured it out a little bit and he was okay I thought Taco was fine like 
MB didn't really want to go into the paint against Taco too much, but just the the impact of having to play Cornette and Wagner and and Taco Fall. It's not just defensively. It's like you can't really rely on those guys offensively either. And so that was that was, that was a game where Tristan Thompson would have been very very important. Um, and not having him was was tough. And then the other part, you know, Br- Brad Stevens said said later i think it was the day after the game um is just like the double teaming i think in a regular season game it's tough to manage that because how many how many big guys do you really have to double during a regular season it's just not something you're you're used to not something that you probably practice all that often uh they certainly not this year when they don't really have practices at all so Brad was like, yeah, we're not going to double team the same way if we play those guys in a playoff series. We'll be smarter about where we send the help from. We'll be smarter about what we what we do with those double teams. And so I think part of that is just like, like he's a really, really tough matchup no matter what, but he's especially a really, really tough matchup because – you game plan for him very differently than you do for everyone else. And so you're not used to trying some of the things against him that you have to do against everybody else. Yeah. It's hard to implement like a double team on the fly and knowing exactly when to help and things like that. I think Celtics Marcus smart did this last night. Sometimes they over help just on guys in the post who are not Embiid size. Like I think it was RJ Barrett posting up last night on uh, Peyton Pritchard and Marcus Smart goes to help, and then the Celtics are kind of lost in in rotation that way. It's just the MB. It's a horrible matchup for them, um, and kind of has been for the entire time he's been in Philadelphia. So it's not like too surprising. But I disagree. Back in the Horford Baines days, they had two guys who would guard him one on one, and obviously he's come a long way since then. Philly's roster has come a long way since then, <laughs> and so he's more difficult to guard now. Um, but, but this Celtics team for sure, like that's a really tough matchup. And I, I think the Celtics have to like, like just do your best and to guard him, you're going to have to give up a lot of fouls. You're probably going to give up a lot of points, but make sure everybody else doesn't kill you. And I, I actually, I mean, there were a number of breakdowns in that game, but I didn't think for the most part, except for a couple of stretches, like their defense was all that bad. Yeah, the stress just happened to be uh, when Danny Green hit four straight threes in a row. But yeah. uh, And then the Celtics, who started off shooting the ball pretty well, just went through their classic stretch of not great basketball, and then we're down by 20. It's the, it's the kind of the formula here. All right. I have a, I have a gimmick. I have a game. I have a scheme. And we we're going to tell, tell the future, Jay King. The Celtics, they play the Timberwolves on Friday night, and then they have a very difficult, I would say, three-game West Coast trip playing the Denver Nuggets, the Portland Trailblazers, and then the Los Angeles Lakers. And I want us to predict the future, um, but we're not going to predict every single game. We're going to choose five different timelines. There's five different ways in which I could see it going and what the vibes will be when me and you podcast, I'm guessing on that Friday morning after the Lakers game. Um, there's five different solu- uh, ways that I can see my vibes, my energy being, and um, 
we're going to talk about each of those five and we'll, we'll, we'll try to imagine, choose our own adventure to figure out how we got there. Now, the one that I think is most unrealistic. I have no idea where we're going with this. I'm just along for the ride. Buddy, I haven't thought, uh, don't really know where we're like, going either. Did you just smoke a lot of weed and come up Not with a lot. crazy idea? Not a lot, but I came up with some ideas I've been thinking. And so it's next Friday. Smoke more weed, turtle. Don't compare. Little me. entourage line. Little entourage line for you. You would make an entourage reference. That's just gross. But sorry, you distracted me. All right. Friday, next Friday, I come in. The vibes are immaculate. I'm giddy about this season. I'm like, the Celtics have just won four in a row. Like, this team has put things together. Tristan Thompson has come in. The energy has returned. How do the Celtics get to that point? Is it even possible? Or is this just the, the most unrealistic of the five scenarios? <laughs> Absolutely sounds pretty unrealistic. Um, but to me, it all starts with the defense. We've seen for a while, obviously, the last couple of games offensively haven't been great. But when Kemba's played, the offense has typically been much better lately, especially when he and Robert Williams have both played. If if the Celtics can get back to like top five defense level, and I, I don't know if that's possible, especially not possible against the the four teams they're playing coming up. But if if they can grind out stops and kind of make games grimy again like they have in the past when they have their better teams, that to me is is how they have to play. Um, and that to me is is how they'll fare better against good teams than their current 5-10 and 10 record against teams with top 10 ratings, top 10 net ratings. Yeah, as much as I'm the sports optimist, as much as I yell anything is potable at the start and end of every single podcast, I just don't think 4-0 and is, You are is, a hypocrite. I, I'm honest about it, yeah. I But I don't think, like, just think about the game they played against the Nuggets earlier in this year where the Nuggets had no one but Jokic and the Celtics had no way of stopping him or slowing him down. And now the Nuggets have all of their pieces. They got Aaron Gordon. They seem to be rolling. I think it's going to be very difficult um, for them to get all four wins. I think they absolutely need to start, like if this is going to happen, for the vibes not to be at the other end of the scale, they need to beat the Timberwolves on Friday night. I think the Lakers game is probably the next easiest game in this stretch, but I think the Nuggets game especially a day game going across the country. Uh, that's going to be the most difficult one for them to win. And so as the much altitude. as I would, altitude's going to be wild. I mean, remember when James it, Young got, got caught by the altitude and then the Utah jazz summer league. It was tough. I don't. Him. What happened? He just couldn't, couldn't keep. He just, just wasn't, wasn't effective. Wasn't, said it was the altitude got him. It's wild that that affected him for the rest of his career. Sometimes was, you never that get was it. Mean. That was mean. Just a shot at James Young for no reason. I mean, you were taking a shot at him for being an altitude sickness. I didn't take shots. I just pointed out facts. I pointed out that it affected him the rest of his career. All right. That's a distraction. So clearly, uh, scenario one, I don't think it's going to happen. Let's bring it down the uh, a little bit. It's Friday morning. I'm not super amped about this team, but I'm still feeling better. I have positive vibes. 
I think the Celtics can, if they go three and one over the next four games, I'll absolutely be there talking myself into this team. I think there's some scenarios where they even go two and two, where if they can like play some close games, uh, like play a very close game and maybe lose on a Dame shot and like have that intensity, they can go two and two with some like four process wins. And I'll be there with positive vibes uh, thinking about this team is going places. And I think it just all depends on the defense, but it's, uh, I don't know. That's the, it, that's what I expect it, for them to win. They basically need at least three wins or four process wins. Three wins or four process wins. I, I like that idea. Do you think the uh, cross country flight could change them? Like it, it changed and fixed the Kyrie team a couple years ago. That's what I'm hoping for. I think that is like key to the formula for any sort of positive scale. Like there's no way they can get four straight wins without an amazing cross country flight on Saturday. And I don't know if they need to bring the karaoke machine. I don't know if Tristan Thompson being back, he seems to be uh, just free wheeling, just willing to say anything, at least in his media availability, keeps the locker room loose uh, is well liked by everyone. Apparently, uh, Never, not one person in his entire career uh, has ever uh, disliked him. Um, so maybe he brings the, the, it back, but they just need to play well. Uh, like, I think the expectation is three wins. You have to want them to get three wins. I think three wins is certainly doable uh, against the Timberwolves and the Lakers and then stealing one against the Nuggets or Trailblazers. But um it's just uh, they have to play right, and I think you're right. It starts on the defensive end. Yeah, that's that's a tough that's a tough road trip. It is a tough road trip. All right, mm-hmm. let's go to the other end of the spectrum. It's Friday morning. I'm miserable. I don't even want a podcast with you. The Celtics just lost to the Lakers on prime time without AD, without LeBron. Probably Dennis Schroeder had 35 points. Could you see this team going 0-4 over their next four games? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. You know, Anthony Edwards could go for 70. <laughs> he brings a lot of energy. Anthony Edwards could go for 70. D'Lo's back, right? No one's scared about D'Lo. Carl Towns recently said he's about winning now, not stats. So, Oh, it's nice of him to make that change. So big, big things happening for the Wolves. I don't think they'll go 0 and 4. As bad as things have been this season, if they had a four game losing streak this season, I don't think so. So, and, and the, it's hard for me to envision them losing to the Wolves, even though I've seen them lose to some shit squads. The Wolves are pretty bad. The Wolves are, I think, the worst team in the league. And so, they have to beat them um, just to keep me out of uh, the darkness that is that place of them going 0-4. That being said, I could absolutely see them beating the Wolves and then losing their next three games uh, on the West Coast trip. They just – they don't play Denver well. They, Dame Lillard is amazing, and then they uh, somehow managed to mess up the Lakers game. Um, if the they Lakers, have three – The Lakers aren't bad even without those two guys. They're not great, though. I think they're like – comparable to where the Celtics are at this point but at the end of a long road trip that that could be a tricky game where Montrez Harrell goes for like 90 
but the, it will so be... So giving up a combined 160 to Anthony you, Edwards to and Trez. I like how you pick out the guys that like could possibly score, have huge games against them, and you never pick Jokic or Dame. It's just two obscure guys who could possibly go off it's just that doesn't make any sense it's boring to predict Jokic would have like a 35.14 assist 11 rebound triple double because he'll probably do it yeah. it's boring to say Dame will have 42 including seven threes because he'll probably do it right, I'm not going to predict nonsense I'm going to predict Trez for 70 you're not going to predict nonsense you're going to predict Trez for 70 is the sentence Correct. You just said all right well, I'm I'm a little bit more uh, realistic in my predictions, and so I also don't see them losing three games uh, on the West Coast. And here's what's actually going to happen: Ooh. in some combination, because this is what the Celtics team is, they are a 500 team. They're going to win two and lose two, and we're just going to be in the exact same place podcasting uh, next week, being like, "What is this team? They've shown such good moments in their wins, and then in their losses, they really haven't put it together." And they will be 28 and 28 by the time me and you are talking next Friday. It's just the only thing that makes sense. Water always finds its level. The Celtics will finish this season 36 and 36. <laughs> so they are 500 water. Yeah, that's the level. They are, but they don't have to be. I mean, they, they could have a different level that water could find. I haven't seen it uh, this year. It's all they do is they win two games, they lose two games. They lose four in a row. Oh, I guess we just said they have a uh, losing streak, but they just can't seem to put anything together, even a, even a good losing streak. I, like, I think if they lost the first two games, they're likely to come back and play harder and then win the next two games. Like It's just where this team seems to be, uh, but it doesn't really matter because all regular season games are, uh, are horse shit. <laughs> What a comment that was. He had a he had an electric, electric Zoom press conference. Well, hold that thought, um, because that's gonna perfectly perfectly transition us to the world famous potable six pack brought to you by our friends at Night Shift and the great Santilli IPA. It's delicious, it's refreshing, it's my favorite beverage to watch with the Celtics. Night Shift is a fantastic company, makes a fantastic beer. If you want to figure out where to get Santilli, go to nsbeer.co slash beerfinder. They sell it all up and down the East Coast. And if you're in the Boston area, they'll even deliver it to you. Get some Santilli from our friends at Night Shift. Jay, I'll let you lead off with uh, your first pick in the potable six-pack. Tristan Thompson Zoom press conference. There is no other pick. He went after Kevin O'Connor. Um for contributing to a report on a podcast that was mostly Chris Vernon's report about how the Celtics have had some issues with Tristan Thompson. Um, just kind of went after that. Said he has the, the memory of an elephant and that he will always remember Kevin O'Connor's name. Like, And he clearly didn't have a full grasp of the situation because he kept on saying that Kevin O'Connor was doing it for clickbaits. And there wasn't a written article. It wasn't for clicks at all. It was just like he clearly heard that Kevin O'Connor said that in like aggregated land. But man, he was the casual swearing from Tristan Thompson on that Zoom was refreshing. Uh, it feels like Jalen and Jason are pretty buttoned up. But Tristan Thompson just came in calling the regular season horse shit. Uh, just a lot of saying COVID was. Uh, he said the Pelicans 
boned the shit out of the Blazers <laughs> as a six seed. Boned the shit out of the Blazers. Free wheel and Tristan Thompson. I see no lies. I see no lies. They did bone the shit out of the Blazers. He was making a point about how playoffs are health and matchup driven. And I guess I guess he's right on that one. But he was the the Kevin O'Connor stuff cracked me up because you know Kevin well. Like Kevin is literally probably the nicest, purest human who ever lived. Like he is he is just pure joy, pure happiness. And Tristan Thompson is like, I will always remember his name forever. I have the memory of the elephant. And nice it's so try, funny because Kevin O'Connor. Because if he if he knew Kevin O'Connor, he'd be like, Oh man, I love Kevin O'Connor. Uh, but instead, like he probably read the aggregated report and and just thinks Kevin O'Connor is out to get him. And I appreciate that. I I can appreciate a good player versus media beef as much as anyone. And and that one was a good one. And I didn't expect him to go as hard as he went, but he went hard against against my man Kevin O'Connor. Multiple name drops. Um, he was clearly very uh, pleased that Kemba and Jalen like came out and tweeted for him. Like he dro- referenced that as well. I thought I'm going to make this my first pick. It's just a continuation. Hold on, we got to continue. Oh, go ahead. You're, you're continuing. The continuation is the outrageous confidence of Tristan Thompson to say he's never had a teammate in his ten years in the league who didn't like them. That's a crazy statement. That means, like, think of all the players he's played with. These people, you're like, people on your team are not your friends. They are your coworkers. It's insane to me to think that there's not one person who's ever shared a locker room with Tristan Thompson who doesn't like him. Like, what does 2012, 2013 Tyler Zeller think about Tristan Thompson? We don't know, but Tristan Thompson assumes that every single person he's encountered is a huge fan of him. I just wish I had that confidence. If I spent 10 years in the NBA, I would have so many teammates who thought I was such an annoying jackass that like, and I would know that. Like, I just can't imagine thinking that everyone liked me for 10 years. He started in the NBA when he was 18. You know how obnoxious 18 to 24-year-old men are? It's just, there's no way everyone liked him. It's insane. See, I, I, I would have to think that none of my teammates ever disliked me. Well, that's just crazy. I don't think any of my teammates, maybe (laughs) men's league teammates, because I became a jacker in my later days. But when I was like actually playing real basketball in high school, college, like I doubt any of my teammates disliked me. I think I think I was beloved. I think I was. That is the approach of a narcissist. That is someone who thinks way too highly of themselves. There has to be someone. I was just I was a good teammate. I was all about the team. You could have been a good teammate and people still could be like, man, fuck that guy. Like, no, oh, he puts it. So a lot of those guys are still very good friends to this day. One of them just texted me like 30 minutes ago. I, I have a I- solid group of like 15 friends from college. I know like four of those guys don't like me. Like, it's just I just don't think it's possible to for 10 years to have a group of 15 guys who are just like at all times. We like Tristan Thompson. We love Tristan Thompson. See, and the the flip side of that is I think I liked almost all my teammates. 
Well, you're too trusting with uh, other people and too willing to engage in nonsense. I mean, uh, clearly you do a podcast with me. It's not a, not a good judgment of character. That is true. I, w- I will say that is a very valid point. I mean, how, how could you trust me? How could you like me if I'm willing to associate myself with fucking backer? I, I don't want to be part of any group that would invite me. What is it? That's the famous line, right? I think. Um, all right. My second pick. This he really said one. bone the shit out of them. <laughs> I don't maybe, think any of us I, even tweeted it. Like, no, yeah. I didn't. This is the first. I I actually went back and like watched the part of the Tristan Thompson thing just to get uh hear what he said about Kevin. But I don't remember the bone the bone the shit out of the like it just didn't stand out to me. But that's a fantastic quote. Yeah, I think all of us were like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you hear some swears every once in a while. Marcus Morris was just regular, regular swear dropper. But that one was just, I laughed for, for a long time. That was just a classic Zoom moment. Phone the shit out of them. I mean, Tristan Thompson comes back electric. First two picks in the potable six pack. For the next pick, I'm going to have to go with uh, my frustration, my continued frustration with uh the local media i'm just gonna blame throw you under the bus jay king because that's part of your group but like the whole conversation about um like also in the press conferences last night where like jalen brown was like me and jay uh jason had a conversation about uh this game and then uh jalen jason gets asked about the outside noise and it just seemed like it wasn't that big of a deal and then you immediately see on um like sports talk radios like jalen brown complaining about the media and you see uh gary tangway tweeting nonsense oh i know people are going to snitch tag but i've I've decided to be a positive person and i'm going to block gary tangway i'm not going to give him the energy i suggest everyone else out there blocks gary tangway i don't need the negativity i realize twitter is a bubble and i'm going to cultivate that bubble to see only things that don't make me furious online and so uh, I would suggest you do the same, but um, the media was getting, so getting attacked last night and I just thought it was interesting. Like as soon as Jalen said, uh, like we had this conversation before the game, there was the next eight questions to both him and Jason were about like, what is that conversation? What take us into that? And it just really felt like my interpretation was uh, Jalen was just basically like, Bad game last night. Got to get a new one uh, tonight. Forget last night. And then all of a sudden it's like they're just having these conversations to overcome the outside noise. I just thought it's a little much. A little much. Well, I think it, from in defense of my entire profession, please. Uh, when you hear something that's outside of the norm, th- like it's interesting. The, the fact that they talked and the fact that Jalen felt it was important enough to bring up, that's interesting. And, and so, so you want to know why he did that. You want to know the details of it. And you wouldn't have known it was such a brief conversation if we hadn't asked questions about it. So what if it had been this huge conversation where they sat down for two hours and had this heart to heart? That could have been the case, too. And so you don't know that until you ask the questions. So I, in defense of, of my entire profession, that was an interesting thing for Jalen to bring up. And, and the fact that, you know, he showed up to the arena and sought out J- Jason Tatum. And even, even though it was just a, a quick thing, like 
yo, let's let's forget about that. Let's let's play together or be be ourselves, whatever, whatever it was that he said. Like that's interesting to me. And I think that's that's more interesting than whether you know they they doubled off a guy or something like that. And so I disagree though. Like I I I was there, I was on the Zoom call. I heard like four or five different reporters, uh, I think to varying levels of success, try to like ask that question because you're right. It's an interesting nugget. Jalen casually mentions that they had this conversation, but I also feel like listening to the Draymond Green, Kevin Durant podcast, there's so many times where the media has limited information and that becomes like so much more of a thing than was ever intended. And it feels like because, and Jalen Brown said like, you guys have a, a tendency to like make big things out of stuff that in retrospect, like just wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and he said that he made that made him like more hesitant to talk to the media. I feel like it was just, and maybe this is just like a Boston specific thing, but you could really feel like seven different reporters pounce and be like, this is a possible nugget. This could be a thing when it's really just like, we have no idea what the full context of that conversation is. And that's why you ask, and that's why you keep asking, and that's why you try to figure out what it actually was. So in defense of, of my industry, and I think what Draymond and Durant were talking about is real. Like, we only know so much, and the thing that we do know, and some of them are very important, some of them are not as important, they help drive the narrative because, like, the the things that we know – and the things that we share become the things that everybody knows and the things that everybody share. And we don't have always the full picture. We don't have every little moment between a, a player, but a lot of the times the big picture moments like, like those matter Draymond and Kevin Durant losing their shit at each other. That matters. And obviously they let it fester and it became a huge thing. And so the organization thought it mattered too. And, and so what are we supposed to do? Ignore that. Like, like, I just don't get, from a player's perspective, you know that's going to be a big deal. And and all Kevin Durant had to do was say, I love Draymond. I'm with Draymond. This isn't a big deal. And it wouldn't have been a big deal. The reaction to it from them themselves is, is part of the reason why it became a big deal. From the Warriors, you know, suspending Draymond to Kevin Durant, being salty about it for a long time. And so I think players can get mad at that, but you can also handle that situation in a way to quiet that noise. So and should have Jalen Brown's just not mentioned that conversation at all? Like, I no, feel like I, just I threw it in that casually. Was, no, that, that was like, that's totally harmless. It's not a thing that, that really matters beyond being like an, an anecdote about a game where they ended up playing like, a gritty comeback win in the fourth quarter and and both of those guys played well and so i just think it's it was just to me that was just a, an interesting little anecdote to to discuss while writing my story i think the thing that's like very interesting about this year is that the only access like the media gets to the players is through these zoom calls where i don't know it in past uh normal situations where we could be in the locker room 
it's not going to be all like the focus on every single guy in the scrum after the game. Sometimes they're doing multiple scrums. Sometimes you can just go up to like after a game and just like talk to a guy and it's not on the record and you just feels like you get a much better sense of what's actually going on. This just felt like a weird Zoom moment where it was just like, oh, an anecdote, an anecdote. And then like seven uh, reporters' heads popped up and it was just like, we got to do something about it. I just think uh, you guys, to give you credit, are in a tough spot because you just don't have the access or ability to like to read the room. And it's not like if you like have Jalen's number, you're going to text him and be like, what was that conversation really about? Like you don't, not able to fill in the context. I just think it's interesting in this kind of weird zoom environment, how much like one little comment can be like, all right. And then that's the story for the night. It's kind of wild. Like, what was it? A couple games ago when everyone hated Marcus smart, but it was all Corrales's fault because he just was writing a Marcus smart column that night. So he asked every single person on the zoom call about Marcus smart. And then everyone had quotes about Marcus smart. And then it's like, it just feels like you can. There's much more ability to drive a narrative or a narrative to get started on these Zoom calls, where that is the only kind of interaction between players and media. Yeah, I think the the inability to just talk with guys like there are a lot of players on the Celtics that I've never met, and that's weird. Like to cover a guy that you've never met, and normally, no matter what type of story you're writing, whether it's good or bad about a player, you'll talk to that player about it. And sometimes what he says will shift your entire view because it it sheds light on what's going on. And 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 then other times, like you'll sit down with a player and and glean more information about what's going on with the team. Like, especially with all the struggles, it would be awesome to be able to sit down with Jalen Brown and be like, what have you actually what have you learned from this season? Like what? You talked about the outside noise. Like, what's bothered you about that? What what has impacted you about that? Why why do you think it's so important for you guys to block that out right now? Um, and so that's that's the type of personal interaction that normally happens that just hasn't lately. And then on top of that, like normally we go to practice, we're able to talk to coaches for a while, like like just off to the side, just shooting the shit with guys, and you just kind of get a better feel for the team versus you know zoom calls or like trying to text or call guys on the side it's just like it's totally bizarre covering a team this year and feeling like like not you're not there and so it's like it's all secondhand thirdhand stuff or it's very more, staged where it's like every and everyone gets access to the same zoom call it's not like yeah you can work so your I, relationship. I, think, yeah. I think honestly everyone's work has suffered and like there's not as much known about this Celtics team as there would be if if we were sitting down and talking to guys and and kind of figuring out more layers to this story and so right now all we all we know is what they tell us on zoom calls (laughs) you know and and so so it's it's a weird weird dynamic where we have to write a story and we want them to be as interesting as possible and is a conversation between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum super important in the long run? No, um, but it's interesting, and it's an interesting way to get into, you know, what happened in the game. That's fair. Uh, so, in conclusion of that pick, block Gary Tangway. Uh, he's bad. Um, he's he's been super nice every time I've met him. Oh, I'm sure so he's a nice guy. In I've person, got to stand up for for Tangway the he human. He tweets at least. out nonsense. He's 
it's bad for society. I don't. I, I, I honestly have no idea what he tweets. Um, he tweeted that they needed to blow up the team. I'm not, not going to go into it. Not having negativity. Your your next two picks on the potable six pack. Um, I'm going to go with Dan Shaughnessy's article about Ooh. how there is no rivalry anymore between Celtics and 76ers. It is now one-sided. I did not see that, but you that's a nice segue from media nonsense. And I, I, I like Dan Shaughnessy a lot. He's a really good dude. Three games does that? Three games? They swept him out of the playoffs last year. I know, and that, that's what's so great about it. That was the best part of it. It's like, it's just awesome. That's a, that's awesome. like just like that's a take, man. I respect the gumption and the unmitigated gall it takes to put pen to paper and publish that under your own name. That makes no sense. That is that is wild. Dan Shaughnessy's been uh, doing it for years. He, he's a legend, absolute legend. I'm I, I'm a fan of the guy's work. I, I appreciate it, and but it, it just. It was a funny time to write that article. And obviously, the Celtics did get their asses whipped. Obviously, they're giving up like 38 points per game to Joel Embiid this season. Um, but And he doesn't, I'm sure, write the, the headline, which is really what, what, made it, what made it worse. But I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. The, the headline got me. The headline got me. That's fair. That's fair. All right, your final pick for the six-pack. Let's go with your honorable mention. Uh, Robert Williams, not a fan of lettuce. <laughs> he is not a lettuce guy. Very much I'm, not a lettuce guy. I'm glad that now that fans are back, we're getting the uh, Jumbotron uh, get to know the player videos. Was it a video or is it just like a slideshow of like uh, little little nuggets about the players? Robert Williams doesn't like lettuce. Tristan Thompson hates fish. Uh, agrees with me that commercial fishing is ruining um, our greatest natural beauty in the ocean. Like this is the kind of like nonsense that happens in a normal season. Most of it takes place on the jumbotron that I'm here for. So Robert Williams, not being a lettuce guy, I think um, if it's not going to be your pick, I'm just going to slide right in and pick it right there. Uh, yeah, go ahead and pick. That will be your last pick. I guess the, the rock. I got another one for you. If you're not ready. Oh, I'll I'll be ready. I just gotta get there. Um, well, you're not gonna say Romeo Langford sock length uh, in the game last night because that was he's going knee highs, which is it wasn't a just look. the length of the socks. It was he had on. They wore the green jerseys last night, right? Yes. So they had the green jerseys, and then he had the white shoes and the black socks. And it was just fantastic. For some reason, I just I just loved the the look. It was like it was like he cared so much about not wanting about wanting people to think he didn't care. You know what I mean? Like just throw on. But I actually I think he actually didn't care. If that uh, makes so, sense, I'm not even he, making sense anymore about Romeo Langford socks. But that was fantastic. I I think. I think I might just throw it back and pick Tristan again. I've got to pick Tristan <laughs> again. Man said bone the shit out of out of them. Bone the shit. Like, who says that? 
who says that during a, a press conference? So, and and, and the claim that regular season games are horse shit. Like, uh, it's just winning in the regular okay. season is horse. Let's shit. talk about that message. I don't think it's a good one to be saying that. No, terrible idea. Brad Stevens is oh. furious with that message. Like, you can flip the switch when you have LeBron James. I thought that was actually an interesting thing that Tristan Thompson said, where it's like, he was asked about uh, Jalen and Jason struggling. And he's like, you know, it's really hard to win in this league. Like, otherwise there would be so many more superstars. You can only really flip the switch when you are a superstar. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are not there at this point. And so Tristan Thompson coming with some wisdom and some uh, utter tomfoolery at the same time. It was. Yeah, he, he really did say that the regular season is horseshit. And I get what he's trying to say, and he's probably trying to give the Celtics hope, you know, like like at this point of the season, they're 500. And I think he's trying to say, like, none of this shit really matters, guys. We can still figure this out and and get to it. They don't have LeBron, which will, will make things more difficult. They also haven't, like, done it before. You know, like they've gone <laughs> to the Eastern Conference Finals, but it's one thing to win a title or get to the finals and then kind of lean back on that. Like they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year and got shellacked in every fourth quarter by Miami. So it's not like they can really lean back on the ultimate success, although obviously they've had more playoff success than probably any team in the East. Other than the Heat, Miami got to the finals, but like definitely more playoff success than the Bucks. Definitely more playoff success than the Nets, who are brand new squad. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of have more success than everybody except the Heat. So maybe maybe there's something in that, but horseshit regular season. It, it brought me back to Kyrie. It really <laughs> did a couple years ago when he was like, "Yeah, we got me. No need to worry. We Gucci. We're good." And We'll see what happens. We'll see what kind of uh, mood I'm in next Friday. Maybe uh, all these games are horseshit and they go 0-4. Or maybe they have the plane ride of the season and go 4-0 and when everything changes. Uh, whatever happens, Jay and I will be with you twice next week to break it all down. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe. Do all the things that helps the algorithm like us. And again, thank you for listening to this episode of Anything Is Possible!